Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Afternoon, start of the new week, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. Well, that was something this weekend. Not just a whole heck of a lot to be happy about. Southern Miss's game got postponed, so nothing good or bad there, just matter of fact. Uh, did not go well in Starkville for Mississippi State against Texas A&M. Did not go well for Ole Miss in Fayetteville against the Arkansas Razorbacks. My assumption is that we, there he is. I mean, didn't waste one minute. Hogman is here and feeling pretty damn good about my less talented players, he says. As well you should. As well you should. And I'm assuming that we will hear from you a little bit later this afternoon, Hogman, and deservedly so. What's up? C Spire text line is open, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. You want to be part of the show, that's the best way to do it. Bull, there's a lot of it in wireless, but C Spire thinks you deserve a plan that's actually what it says. Here's the real deal. The best plan for one or two lines, $45 each with auto pay and paperless billing. No bull. Cspire.com. Boys, what's up? Oh, just feeling terrible for Atlanta sports fans. And I know technically I'm not supposed to do that, you know, with the Saints connection. But part of me wonders what you would rather have. Would you rather lose the way Atlanta sports constantly loses? Or be Jacksonville? Never really there. You know what I mean? So you're never really heartbroken because you're never really there. And you can't even use the Cleveland example anymore because the Cavs did win a championship not long ago. But you have 28-3, to the most epic collapse in Super Bowl history. And now you have a 3-1 <laughs> series. You can't even do this with a straight face. You're trying to, but I, all you're but, trying to do is rub it in because uh, New Orleans people hate everything about Atlanta. I, honestly, I, I, I really genuinely feel bad for them today. I really do. Because I could not imagine... Constantly, and the Hawks just just stink. I mean, they're awful. So you've got a horrible basketball team that haven't been competitive in forever. You've got a baseball team that has the longest streak of playoff appearances without going to the World Series. You've got a football team that is just awful right now, but is the butt of every joke that involves the Wait, number. Say it again about the baseball team. I think it's 16 consecutive playoff appearances without making a World Series, which is a record. Hmm. Okay. I feel terrible for these people. 
having to endure what they endured because it's almost like they knew what was coming. It was a 3-1 series lead, and of course they were much happier about being 3-1 than anything else. However, a 3-1 series lead, and it's almost like the fans knew what was coming. They were very well aware that they were going to blow that series. I, I feel terrible for Atlanta sports fans today. Imagine being a Mississippi State or an Ole Miss fan, watching what you watched on Saturday, and then turning around and watching your Braves blow a 3-1 series lead when you're on the precipice of going to a World Series. I mean, thoughts and yeah, prayers out tough. to you guys. But, but, but to your point, to, to your point, I'd rather be relevant. Jacksonville's not relevant. I mean, the Falcons aren't relevant right now, and the Hawks aren't relevant. But, I mean, w- would you rather be knocking on the door and giving yourself a chance over and over and over or just not ever get there in the first place? That's like, would, would you rather be a, a fan of, you know, the Atlanta Braves or the Cincinnati Reds? I mean, the answer is the Braves. Sure. And that's a good young team. Tough. I mean, they're knocking on the door. Yeah, sure, it's tough. Sure, it's tough. Atlanta shouldn't have been in that position this year regardless based on the injuries they sustained to the pitching staff. I mean, I think that if you're looking for a glass-half-full side, and I'm sure if you're a Braves fan today, you're like, you know, can we just not talk about it, period? Let's let's let this thing sit for just a little while first. But if you're looking for glass-half-full, the two guys at the top of your rotation didn't pitch for basically the whole season, and you had a couple of new arms emerge, Atlanta's rotation next year is going to be outstanding. And they've got bats, probably got the MVP in the National League over at first base and Freddie Freeman. I mean, there are a lot of pieces there. There's a lot to be excited about. Borky just says the excitement is about inevitable heartbreak, though. All of that is is all true. And if you're a Braves fan today, you should be very satisfied with how the season went, honestly. Uh, I mean, you shouldn't be sad today, but the fact is, even though they shouldn't have been there, it, it was 3-1. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Dad, you're not shedding many tears for Atlanta. I mean, I feel bad for my friends, you know, that are that are Braves fans, guys like, you know, Joel Coleman and you know, some other How's folks. Joel you know, handling Brock. it? He's okay. He's okay. okay. You know, he came in today, I gave him a big hug, you know. Told him, you know, <laughs> it's not his fault. He did everything he could do. Um yeah. you know, I feel bad for but Atlanta sports fans, I mean if you're a Falcons fan, and, and I have a good friend who's probably listening who's a Falcons and Braves fan. I feel bad for you on one count, but the Falcons stuff I have no sympathy for you. So yeah. If you're a Falcons fan at this point, you're almost frustrated because you went out and got a dub yesterday, and that's not what you need. No. You need to not win <laughs> at this Just point. Be tanking for Trevor. What are you doing? So, um, good to be with you this afternoon. Obviously, the uh, results on the gridiron are the majority of what we will talk about this uh, on this Monday. Mississippi State gets a week off. They will not play this Saturday, not because of COVID, but it's just their scheduled open date. And I guess it comes at a good time. I don't know if there's anything good right now for Mississippi State football. So maybe, maybe we'll see how the week goes. So Mississippi State hosts Texas A&M 28-14 is the final score. Uh, Game was going on at the same time the Ole Miss-Arkansas game was going on. Is 28-14, I mean, is that an accurate score of how the game actually was? Yeah. Did it feel like a two-touchdown game? Did it feel like there was ever a chance? 
Uh, when State scored off the pick six, he thought maybe they had a little bit of momentum, uh, but then A&M quickly responded to it. But, I mean, two of, two of A&M's drives, if you want to call them drives, uh, their possession started inside MSU's 10-yard line off of turnovers. So, you know, yeah, defense it's, it's, it's the same script. It's, it's the defense played good enough to win. The offense played poorly enough to lose. Two of Texas A&M's four scoring drives – their first scoring drive did not. It was scoreless after the first quarter. Eight plays, sixty-six yards, four minutes and sixteen seconds, and a touchdown. That was on the first play of the second quarter. An Isaiah, was Isaiah a, Spiller touchdown run. That was a classic, always run, never pass drive. They didn't put the ball in the air one time. After a Mississippi State turnover, Texas A&M went one play, one yard. It took four seconds to go up fourteen to nothing. Yeah. In the third quarter, there was a four-play, seventy-five-yard drive that lasted a minute thirty-three. And uh, later in the third quarter, a two-play, eight-yard drive that took 46 seconds. Both of their long drives were good. Like I said, they, they ran the ball effectively. The the, the, long, the second long drive came right after MSU had scored, so that was a response drive. They came went right down, got a big play, and, and scored off of it. So A&M was in control the whole time. But again, you know, I feel like State did enough defensively to, to, that they should have been able to walk out with a victory. Uh, but offensively, they're just so poor right now that they didn't have any chance to do that. So Mississippi State falls to one and three on the season. Texas A&M improves to three and one. Ole Miss, whoo! They go to Arkansas, and the final score is thirty-three to twenty-one. So they lose by twelve. Had Arkansas wanted to, they could have stuck it in one last time at the end of the ball game and pushed it out to forty to twenty-one. Uh, Sam Pittman, after a couple of running plays, decided to take a knee at the end of the ball game, and let the time run out. That said, after playing abysmal football for 55 minutes and turning it over a crazy number of times, Ole Miss had the ball down five with three and a half minutes to play and a chance to go win the football game. Yeah, the defense finally played to a level that can help you win football games. I mean, it took them to week four, and it happens to be the same time where your quarterback throws six interceptions, but they actually did defensively do things well enough to win the football game. They should have had two three-and-outs early. And I think, I mean, the story will be the interceptions. Of course, that's something that we'll talk about all the time. But Mm -hmm. little things throughout the game, like the roughing the punter on the second three-and-out. Yeah. Arkansas immediately goes down and scores right away, and then you're playing from behind in an early hole. Uh, but that side of the ball, if you're looking for a positive today, there's one. You played well enough on defense to win. There is an amazing statistic that Lane Kiffin referenced in his press conference today that we will give you when we come back. We will unpack Arkansas's win over Ole Miss. We will unpack Mississippi State's, I'm sorry, yes, Texas A&M's win over Mississippi State. We will get to winners and losers. We'll look around the SEC and a whole lot more with you on this Monday afternoon. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. Said just a second ago, Lane Kiffin made an interesting note in his press conference today. And I had not thought of it this way. And if you're an Ole Miss fan, you might prefer not to think about it this way. But here you go. 
four times Ole Miss went for it on fourth down and did not convert. There were nine fourth down tries for Ole Miss. They went five for nine on fourth downs. There was the play that Borky referenced earlier where Ole Miss stopped Arkansas three and out, forced a a punt. Arkansas at that point was punting into the wind, and instead of just playing safe punt, fair catching it, and having the ball at midfield with some momentum, Ole Miss decided to go after it. They got close. They didn't make contact, got called for running into the punter, and instead of getting the ball at midfield or even on the plus side of the field, they gave Arkansas a fresh set of downs. So four times they didn't convert on fourth down, plus the running into the punter, plus seven turnovers. Lane Kiffin pointed out that 12 times in the game Ole Miss gave the ball to Arkansas without scoring or punting. Ooh. Think about that. Um, I, 12 I, possessions for Arkansas where Ole Miss gave the ball to them without kicking off after a score or punting. And still in the game. Yeah. I mean, had a chance uh, with the ball down, what was it, with the ball down five, right? A chance to take a lead on a drive. Down 26-21 with three and a half minutes to play. And then one of those situations uh, ensued. Uh, See, and everybody's going to talk about the quarterback, and they should. Again, they should. It was uh, the worst game of his college career, his short college career so far, but it's probably pretty conservative to say that was the worst game of his life. Um, But it wasn't just him. I mean, you had multiple big drops from receivers as well. Yeah, the roughing in, into the kicker you mentioned, there was bad execution on the goal line. And then another goal line, fourth down, where if you can't get this much, I'm showing on the stream, uh, then you probably don't deserve to win the game anyway. So Corral's taking the, the brunt of it, and he should, of course, but it wasn't just him that didn't execute to win the game on Saturday. I mean, it's sort of similar to what happened with Mississippi State against Arkansas. You know, that State made a lot of mistakes, and Arkansas took advantage of them, but even in the end, you know, that State had a chance to win. Arkansas is a good enough team that if you make mistakes, they will take advantage of them, but they have trouble putting teams away. They should have put away Auburn the week before. I mean, they got screwed by the refs, but that just sort of is what it is. But they're obviously a lot, lot better than they were a couple seasons. They should be 3-1 and and ranked. They should be running in the top 20, maybe top 15. But... They still, you know, they still lack the ability to just like to completely close out a game. You know, they 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 don't have that just yet. But I don't have any doubt they're going to get it with this staff who's doing such a fantastic job. Couple of things that similarities, if you will, to the uh, the game against Mississippi State that Arkansas won. Against Mississippi State, there was a linebacker for Arkansas named Bumper Pool. Yeah, and he was. It was almost like there were nine of him on the field in that game. He had 20 tackles in the game. Bumper Poole did not even dress for Arkansas on Saturday. Instead, Grant Morgan got the start in place of Bumper Poole at one of those linebacker spots. Let me give you Grant Morgan's stat line. 19 tackles, one sack, three tackles for loss, two pass breakups, and an interception return for touchdown. And it should be noted that he missed two drives for Arkansas with what looked like a pretty serious arm injury. 
where he went to the sideline, they put one of those brace that immobilizes his left arm, and he came back into the game. And it was after he came back into the game with that brace on his left arm that immobilized that arm that he nearly had one interception. He couldn't extend both arms all the way up to pull it down. And then later had the game-clinching interception return for a touchdown. It was a remarkable performance by Grant Morgan in that ballgame. And schemed really well. I mean, I know Barry Odom just got fired, but um, he, he went to bowl games in three of his four years, and he took over a bad situation. So they went 4-8 and eight in his first year. But um, if I'm somebody that's looking for a coach, I think that might be somebody I call. Because that is consecutive weeks now. I mean, really all season long. Go back to the Georgia game, and Arkansas defensively held Georgia in check. It's all four games. Until yeah, it is. athletes took over, and that's the only reason Georgia won that game the way they did is because they had better players. Um, I, I'm picking up the phone and calling that guy if I've got an opening, just to see what he's all about, because they are overmatched athletically. They were on Saturday, but there, they play hard, is, and they're schemed really well. I don't think this is a hot take. There is a significant argument to be made that through four games, through four weeks, Sam Pittman is the SEC coach of the year. Yep. Look and out. there is no argument against, none, against Barry Odom as the Frank Broyles Award winner, which goes to the best assistant coach in the country. I couldn't even think of somebody that you could put in the same category as him right now. I can, but his team's not winning. Oh, Zach Arnett, yeah. 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 But, I mean, good point. nobody's – that's the number one defense in the in the yeah. SEC right now, Mississippi State. Of I mean, I can't believe I'm saying those words. But I feel like Ole Miss fans today – should feel the way state fans felt after they lost to Arkansas. You remember the week prior, you know, state beats LSU and we're on the show and we're thinking, we're looking at the schedule and go, God, state can win these games and they're going to be great. Remember last yeah. week, sort of the same thing with Ole Miss. You're like, man, these next five games, they're all very winnable. When you're a bad team and that's what state and Ole Miss are this year, you can't just show up, man. There's no gimmies. You got to, you got to play these games. And now both and, of these and you teams. And you got to play you know, well. Yeah. Yeah. You can't have the full Henning. You can't throw six picks for sure. Um, a, a couple of things. So Arkansas really did what they did against Mississippi State defensively mm-hmm. against Ole Miss as well. It was a, a very similar situation. For the majority of the game, they only rushed three. They played dime coverage. It's that 3-2-6 defense especially against teams that throw, and they were incredibly disciplined about it. They took away the deep ball. It was, it was, the deep ball was never a factor for Ole Miss in the game, and it's an Ole Miss team that's had success throwing the ball down the field in the first couple of uh, weeks of the season. They completely eliminated Kenny Yeboah, who has been maybe the biggest surprise in the SEC through the first, or, or was through the first three games, and he was brutal. Like they didn't, he didn't have a catch in the game against Arkansas. And on top of that, really missed on some important blocks in the game as well. But more than anything, because of that dime defense and the ability to still get some pressure, not a ton of pressure. I mean, Matt Corral had time, but they were able to kind of stalemate at the line of scrimmage. There are two things that stand out to me. One, they took away the ability to throw the ball down the field. And two, they stayed honest enough with their outside linebackers and their strong safety coming up 
that they were able to kind of set the edge on the run and not let Ole Miss get to the outside on that read option. The success that Ole Miss had running the football was up the middle. And when I asked Lane Kiffin what he thought, you know, kind of going in, you know, what kind of adjustments you make, he said, we've got to run the ball. Said, you know, we're, 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 they're, they're not allowing us to get to the outside and make throws down the field. We've got to run it. And Ole Miss kind of made a commitment to running the football. They changed some things up formationally in the second half. Spent a good time with two tight ends, a good amount of time with two tight ends on the field. And it was only once they ran the ball that things opened up a little bit in the passing game. But the confusion that they caused for Matt Corral, at least on four of the six interceptions, if you go back and you watch them in the frame, like, like the camera frame, you will see one old Miss receiver, usually Elijah Moore, with three or four red jerseys around him. And I really think they made an adjustment late in the ballgame, Arkansas did, where Grant Morgan, who I was talking about a second ago, kind of turned into a spy. And all he was doing was following the eyes of, of Matt Corral. Wherever he looked, that's where Grant Morgan went. And linebackers were consistently able to jump into the passing lanes and, and, and I'm not even convinced that that it was a deal where you know, you, you you might ask the question, well, did, did Matt Corral not see those guys? I, I don't know if he did or he didn't. I mean, clearly he's not throwing a guy just attempting to or intentionally trying to throw it to the other team. But it was almost like there was some predetermined, okay, Elijah Moore is the guy who can make plays for us. We've got to get him the football. And then instead of checking it down to a back out of the backfield or a tight end who released out to the side, he was trying to force it to Elijah Moore, who still had 11 catches and went for over 100 yards in the game. He's on pace to break A.J. Brown's record with two fewer games. Yeah. So, it was a tough one. We will look at some of the numbers from that game when we come back. We'll also, a little bit later fully unpack Mississippi State and Texas A&M. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. Don't forget, C Spire text lines open, 601-879-4395. Tide turned it up in the second half on Saturday night against the Georgia Bulldogs. Ooh, that was impressive. That was impressive. Shut out Georgia 21-zip in the second half. Hard to believe that's the same defense that gave up 48 points just a week earlier. And 600 yards? Whew. Yeah. And circumstances are different, of course. But that game Saturday night kind of... It should have been confirmation for a lot of people that are calling for a change at quarterback for Ole Miss, in my opinion. And it's not that many people. Most people have great perspective on it. And I can hear an argument that maybe when you know he's having an awful day, you just put in somebody else, let him reset, and get him ready for next week. But there are some people, because they listened to the show yesterday and texted in unhappily, that honestly think that Ole Miss should start a different quarterback this coming Saturday. And I think what Alabama did is another example of why not. Because... I know this is a layered conversation, but if you're honestly calling for Matt Crow to be benched after one historically bad, but one bad game, after consecutive weeks of lighting up Florida, Kentucky, and Alabama, ask yourself if his backup could have done that. 
And if your answer is not no, then you're fooling yourself. But you cannot, on one hand, say Ole Miss needed to make a change last year and the offense was bad because they were inconsistent and shuffled quarterbacks, and then in the first sign of adversity, ask them to shuffle quarterbacks. Yeah. There are a lot of people that already on the ceasefire text question, uh, text line today have asked that question. You know, why did they not go to John Rice Plumley? Was John Rice Plumley not available? Was he there? Yeah, he was there. And if you watched it on television, my understanding is every single time something bad happened to Matt Corral, they immediately put the camera on John Rice Plumley and talked about, well, will John Rice Plumley come into the game? They do that they've, four weeks in a yeah. row now, Richard. Every time Ole Miss has done something not good on offense, the camera goes straight to him. Yeah. The, Lane Kiffin talked about this in his post-game press conference. Talked about it with me on the radio after the game. He said, look, he said, I understand that there are a lot of people that would have made a change. He said, I've never been a guy who has been quick trigger on changing a quarterback. He said, I think it affects rhythm, and I think it affects confidence, and I don't believe in doing that. Now, in his press conference today, Lane Kiffin did say that if – he had known that after the first three interceptions, Corral was going to throw three more interceptions. They probably would have gone to Plumley. <laughs> no, no, nobody gets the forward-looking crystal ball during the game. I mean, if Mike Leach had known that at times KJ Costello was going to continue throwing interceptions in games, he might have gone a different route. Coaches would love to have that crystal ball to know exactly what's going to happen and then do something different. There's no guarantee that the outcome would have been different. Maybe it would have been. But that was the rationale, and I think it's fine to second-guess that. It's fine to question yeah. whether or not you should have gone a different route. That several people asked me today, well, why didn't they change quarterbacks? Well, because the head coach didn't want to change quarterbacks. He didn't think that was the right way to go. And I'll be honest with you, I, I don't know. Hey, Dad, I know you were probably not watching at this point. Borky, I know you were. But I honestly thought... 26-21, three and a half minutes to play, ball at your own 20. Ole Miss is about to drive the length of the field, stick it into the end zone, and get out of here with a win that they did not deserve. Yeah, And just feel like they stole the Hope Diamond out of, you know, triple-layer glass laser <laughs> beams and security for days. Because that's what it would have felt like if Ole Miss had won that game. Absolutely. And... I mean, the way they were playing in the second half as well, I had the same feeling you did. And it's very clear that they have decided, and they decided during camp because you tried to tell the people many times and they didn't want to listen, but they have determined that they have a quarterback that they believe gives them the best chance to win every game and the best chance to run their system effectively. And so they stuck with that guy. And I think... Corral and Kiffin's postgame comments were both pretty telling to me. It's they, they strike me as having a really good relationship in that they respect each other, especially when Corral sits down after the game and says, well, the coach told me he's got my back. And he had really good perspective after playing the worst game of his life and, I mean, being the reason they lost, saying, one, the coach, coach has my back and I've just got to do a lot more in preparation and study harder and practice harder. Instead of this week being all about, well, who's it going to be? Should they start somebody else? Having this kid look over his shoulder just like he had to do all last season, he get, he understands now that his coach left him in, and it clearly worked for him in his psyche. 
And so now he doesn't have to look over his shoulder at his backup. Now he can just focus on himself, prepare for Auburn, and try to bring the guy that played the first three weeks back instead of the guy that played in Fayetteville. I think changing, doing a reactionary change in quarterback after this one game could have damaged the guy that you chose to be your quarterback. And sticking him in and sticking with him. And then apparently, I mean, Kiffin's been on Twitter sharing stories about his father-in-law who threw nine interceptions in an SEC game, stuff like that. It seems to me like he read his quarterback well and made the right call well, for but, his but team also, moving forward. Also recognized and, and talked about this after the game and talked about it again today. Here was a quote from his press conference today. And, hey, Dad, I think there's a huge parallel here between Mississippi State and Ole Miss. They pay defensive coordinators a lot in this conference for a reason. People will copycat it. We have to fix it. We have to run them out of it. We weren't consistent up front. Two tight ends in the second half helped things, and we ran the ball with that. We can switch up formations and help with it. When people play those boxes, you run them out of it. There is a blueprint for how to stop Mississippi State. Arkansas's Barry Odom put that blueprint in place. It has now been replicated in consecutive weeks since. There was no blueprint for slowing down the Ole Miss offense through the first three games. There is now. Barry Odom was the architect of that blueprint, and now you've got one of the best defensive coordinators in the SEC in Kevin Steele who is watching the film over and over and over of what Arkansas did that allowed them to have success defensively against an Ole Miss offense that for the first three weeks had been incredibly explosive, and he's putting together a plan for how Auburn is going to defend Ole Miss on Saturday. And and that's what Lane Kiffin talked about after the game. He said, you, you've got to go back, figure out what you could have done differently, and figure out how to execute against the defense that you're going to see again that just had so much success against you. And to me, that's the parallel with Mississippi State. Okay, now you got to go back and figure out how you're going to execute against the defense that's had success against you in three, three consecutive weeks. I am curious because I did not get to watch all of it. I watched part of it last night, part of it this morning. Haven't watched the game in its entirety. How much of what Texas A&M did was similar to what Kentucky did last week and the blueprint that Arkansas put together the week before? Most of it. Rush three, drop eight. Uh, They were able to consistently get pressure with three. When they brought four, which is still technically not a blitz, they were incredibly effective. I I thought, what was the stat I saw yesterday? That they only blitzed twice, yet they still got to, they got incredible pressure on Mississippi State. and, And State just had trouble finding the windows to throw into. Costello's one interception was a really, really bad one. Will Rogers was more effective later in the game, but. That's that's the blueprint for Mississippi State, and until State can the, come out and and really really break it, it's going to be that way. On the interception, it looked to me like Costello couldn't step into that throw, and maybe his mechanics got a little bit out of whack, and as a result, the ball came out of his hand funny, and there was never a shot. The A and M defender was in better position to catch that ball than State's wide receiver. He's already thrown into double coverage, though, regardless of the throw is good or not. It's on first down. You've driven the ball into their territory. You've got a little bit of momentum. The decision itself, I didn't think, was a very good one. But then, you know, I, I, I don't think he got hit. He may not have been able to step fully into the throw. 
but I, I, I think it might have gotten picked off anyway. That safety was back there ready to make a play on the ball. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of – I mean, I guess soul-searching is the right word, but that's not really the word I'm looking for. It's adjustment. It, it's not – and, you know, that's the, that's the thing about – in particular, and again, I didn't see Mississippi State's game – Ole Miss played hard on Saturday. We got a text a few minutes ago on the ceasefire text line that said Ole Miss looked like they stayed out all night drinking in a in a strip club. Well, I can tell you with certainty that that did not happen. Stayed at the same hotel, and they were you know all up for breakfast on time, and everybody looked good and awake the next morning. But I didn't have that thought at all. I thought the defense played harder and better than they had played at any point this season. Part of that was because out of necessity, because Tarikas Tisdale was out due to COVID, contact tracing piece of it, they had to move Ryder Anderson back out to the end. And that's a spot where he can affect the game. Ryder Anderson can't really affect the game that much when he's playing nose tackle. But he can from the outside, and he had 13 tackles and a couple of sacks in the game. Or maybe only I think he was only credited with one sack. But he made plays in that game. And I thought the offense played hard. I thought the offensive line protected well enough for Matt Corral to have time most of the time. There were just some really bad decisions by the quarterback in the game. And it cost Ole Miss for the first time this season. Big time. Sports Talk Mississippi, we will be right back. Back with you on the... On Sports Talk Mississippi, let's go to the Ceasefire text line. Greg and Nettleton had some thoughts on the uh, game against Mississippi State. Says that uh, pointed out to us a while back. I guess pointed out to me a while back that in times that he had been at Mississippi State practices, things looked great in practice, and then they didn't translate to the f- field. And uh, that he was told by someone else on this show that um, that's ridiculous, didn't know what he was talking about. And then after the game, Mike Leach said just that. You don't watch us play good football, come watch us practice. But it's not translating. Said, and, and there's a great deal of frustration that goes along with that. I think Greg's point was that it's not anybody on the current show that had said that to him, but nevertheless... He also says, if I'm the coach, I'm bringing my entire team together and I'm going to apologize to my young guys and I'm going to say this is never happening again on my watch. If you want to play guard, here's your chance. And for those that are playing right now that aren't look like they don't care, there's not going to be a spot for you. Is there some of that that's going to happen for Mississippi State where Mike Leach is going to say, and, and, and here's the crazy thing, hey, Dad, We've been saying this since the day he was hired. Mike Leach is going to run his system. And there's no debate. And there's no chance of a change. He believes in his system. And he can point to 20 years of evidence. And in year number one at Texas Tech, it was ugly. And in year number one at Washington State, it was ugly. And in year number one at Mississippi State, it's ugly. And he said, I heard him say, you know, I, I don't know why it doesn't translate in year number one, but it hasn't. Yeah. But he's not going to change. 
And, and, and I, I don't mean to sound like a broken record here. We had so much fun and joked about this and whatnot. Back in December and January and February, March and April, May and June and July, when nothing was going on, how many times did I make the joke about Ed on row 13 sitting on the 40-yard line is going to stand up and is going to say, Run the ball! We're four games in, and what are you hearing people say? you got to run the ball. Yeah. And what do we say? It's not going to happen. That's not who you hired. That's not what he does. It's not changing. Period. My only question, and I, and I, I guess that turned into a not much of a question, is Mississippi State about to go through a thing on the offensive side of the ball where it's like, you know what, screw it, we're just going to play young guys? Um, I don't know. Um, because you got you got to think in terms of this. Everybody's got an extra years of eligibility. You know, I don't think NFL teams are knocking down Osiris <laughs> Mitchell's door or anything. So he might want to come back for another season. You know, so I I don't know. I don't know if I don't know if they would go to that or not, uh, because you can bring back basically the same team. You know, next year. Um, but I do think there's going to be that. Is there going to be some changes here and there? Yeah, I would think so. As guys continue to, you know, the guys that play better are going to get to play, and the guys that don't are going to be, you know, sort of shuffled out. Yeah. Here's a message that says, "Good coaches adapt to win," and I'll leave it at that. But the thing is, but Mike Leach that's is all one. He's done. The guys won plenty. And, and, and you remember one of the things that we talked about in the in the in like the lead up to this season that I thought was going to be fascinating when we were talking about who's going to have more success in year number one. And I said I think it's going to be interesting because traditionally, Lane Kiffin is a guy who has adapted his offenses to the personnel that he has. If he's got a quarterback that's got the ability to to run it and throw it, then he's going to utilize both. If he's only got a guy that can throw it, well, they're not going to try and shove a square peg into a round hole. They can't run the football, period. Well, they're going to throw the football. Mike Leach is going to throw the football. There is no, we're going to adapt to the personnel that we have. If if that was the case, Mississippi State would have been a run-first football team this year. Period. But that's not what Mike Leach ever was going to do. And there is a level of frustration that goes along with that. I understand that. But Mike Leach would say, yeah, I'm, I'm frustrated too. But we're going to get this system in place. We're going to get the right people in place to run this system, and it's proven that it can win. Now, if we look up three years from now, and it looks the same, then clearly there was a mistake. Right. You, you, you took a risk in hiring a guy like Mike Leach in the SEC. But you've got to be committed to the risk that you took to give it a chance to work. Never mind the financial implication of any interest in pulling the plug. There's no option to pull the plug. Right. It just doesn't exist. Winners and losers, that's how we start the 4 o'clock hour. We'll have ours. We look forward to getting yours as well on the C Spire text line. 601-879-4395. Also, an NFL game is about to kick off. Back with 
you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. Thanks for being with us. You want to be part of the conversation, you can do so. Kansas City and Buffalo has just kicked off. Game is on Fox and NFL Network. This was the game that was supposed to be played on Thursday night but got pushed back. And so they have a uh, 5 o'clock Eastern time. 50 degrees, raining and foggy in Buffalo. Uh, That's what football is supposed to look like in Buffalo. So Josh Allen and the Bills in all blue against uh, Pat Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs could be a shootout. That could be a a fun football game this afternoon into this evening. It's uh, game one of a Monday afternoon, Monday night doubleheader. You've also got Arizona at Dallas. That one kicks off at 7.15 on ESPN, so it should kick off about the time this game is ending. C Spire text line open to you, 601-879-4395. Borky, we got to call Hogman. Told him we would call him to uh, start the 4 o'clock hour and let him jump in and be part of uh, winners and losers. Can we do that? We can, but don't ask for the music while I'm doing this. All right, well, let's get the music started, and then we'll give him a call. It's time for winners and losers. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. I'm a loser, baby. We got winners. We got losers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. It's what we do on Mondays, and it does not matter the season. What you like from the weekend, what you saw that was great, what you didn't like from the weekend, and what was not good at all. It's winners and losers. Hey, Dad, you want to lead us off? Mac Jones is my winner. Uh, that's a guy that, you know, if you listen to the show, you know that I pr- predicted a uh, Kelly Bryant, Trevor Lawrence kind of situation for him, and all Mac Jones has done is go out and, and put a, start putting up Heisman numbers of his own. Uh Gonna, he's got a team that's clearly going to play for a national title or at least be in the playoff, depending on how the seeding goes. Uh, they're they're the, easily the best team in the SEC. Granted, you know it's it's that Alabama quandary of he's got incredible talent all around him. How how good is he? But you can't just put anybody out there. He's making the plays. He's finding the open receivers, and that team is rolling right now. So Mac Jones is my winner. He, he's confident. He's got a big arm. He is mobile enough. I, I thought there were a couple of times where he got flushed out of the pocket and really did a nice job keeping his eyes down the field while he was rolling to one sideline or the other. He's just a good quarterback. Yeah. And, yes, of course he's got weapons. I mean, any quarterback in the country would love to have Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith to throw it to. I, I get that. But still, you got to get it to him, and he's getting it to them on the money over and over and over. I said we would do this. We did this after uh, Arkansas beat Mississippi State. We'll do it again today after uh, Arkansas wins against Ole Miss, and we're doing it kind of as a reward for being such an incredibly loyal listener. Hogman has had a great sense of humor with us, uh, and I, I, I guess to the victor go the spoils. Hogman, Arkansas gets it done again, 2-0 and against uh, teams from Mississippi, and uh, if you're an Arkansas fan living in Mississippi – Makes it pretty fun for you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Ain't nothing like being a Mississippi State champion. <laughs> yeah. Do they give you a trophy for that? Print the shirts. I think they print T-shirts up there in Fayetteville. You know, maybe long sleeves, the cools that's getting up there. You know, it 
I was feeling for the sideline reporter. I know he's about to freeze to death up there. Nah, it wasn't too bad. I did make the uh, trek to the press box at halftime to grab a uh, a jacket. When the sun was out, it was great. It was when the sun went behind the clouds and that wind was blowing um, that it uh, it kind of went crazy. I, I, I got to ask you this, Hog Man. Did you honestly believe that this could happen? That not only Arkansas would be two and two, but that they really should be three and one at this point? Well, I think if you listen to Sam Pittman for five or ten minutes, you'll agree that he's willing to do anything to be a winner. And the problem with today's football, as you see, when coaches have this ego, we had one, Chad Morris, thought he was the greatest coach ever. What that gives you. You have he was to be not. willing to do the little bitty things to be a good football team in the Southeastern Conference. And, you know, I think that's a good point. I, I think that's a good point because Arkansas is not a great team, but they are no. a good team. And the thing that stood out to me, Hogman, man, they played so incredibly hard. They oh, played yeah. hard. It wasn't always a work of art, but they played hard. Yeah, it is, it is great to see, you know, kids that everybody laughed at, talked about how no talent they were. Those are the same kids there today. You know, I was you talking know. to a, a buddy of mine that works on the uh, Arkansas Network, and he's worked with basketball as well, uh, former assistant basketball coach there. And, yeah, good dude. And I said, man, you couldn't have believed it. He's like, no, I couldn't have believed it at all. Not at all. But he said, we had everybody coming back. And sometimes that's a good thing, and sometimes it's not a good thing. But they did have guys that had experience in the SEC I, you know, I thought the best player on the field on Saturday was Grant Morgan, and I don't even think there was a debate. But the next best player on the field for Arkansas was Trey Burks. That guy is a beast. Yes, but, you know, uh, let's talk about the walk-on. Doesn't even have a scholarship. How many interceptions did he have? You know, where did he come from? Who are you talking uh, about? You talking about Catalan? No, no. The, uh, I can't think of his name right now. Number 17. Um, uh but anyway, he doesn't even have a scholarship. You know, oh, Clark. Game. Clark. Yes, Clark. Clark, you're right. Uh, trying to remember his name. Hudson Clark. Yeah, uh, had an interception Clark. in the uh, – had three interceptions in the game. But, you know, you, you've watched a lot of SEC football games, and you have to be honest, Richard. How many times were you in field goal range? And I promise you the field goal kicker's not even warming up over at Ole Miss' side. You're right. You're right about that. Hogman, great talking to you. Hope you will enjoy this one. Know uh, you have uh, had to to suffer through some downtimes the last few years, and uh, you deserve to be riding high right now. Enjoy the rest of your week, my friend. Yes, sir. I appreciate the time. All right. What about that, guys? Um, Lane Kiffin told us, going back to when he was announced throughout the season, I mean, it's, you know, touchdowns, not field goals. You, you, You look up. And you're down 26-21 with three and a half minutes to play, and you skipped on two chip shot field goals. And it's, I mean, really, these two games were mirror images of each other with State and Ole Miss, because State did the same thing, down 21-14 with nine minutes to go. You know, why not just kick a field goal, make it 21-17? They don't do that, and they get back down in the same situation, and they don't do it again. And I mean, the game could be completely different. I don't know. So yeah, I. I 
like I said, Arkansas, every break that State and Ole Miss gave them in these two games, they took full advantage of. And that's, I mean, that's the sign right. of a good team. Good teams, they take advantage of the breaks they get. You're on to something there. The, I do think to a certain degree we have to wrap our mind around the, the fact that college football is different than it used to be. And coaching philosophies are different. And Lane Kiffin's philosophy is, I'm not kicking field goals when there's an opportunity. And Ole Miss converted five fourth downs in the game. Problem is, they didn't convert four fourth downs in the game. And a couple of those were scoring scenarios. Where you got to get it in the end zone. You just got to. All right. Other winners. Borky, you got a winner? Mike Brable. For yes. one of the more galaxy brain clock management decisions you'll see. So uh, the Titans are down <laughs> one, down one, and uh, the Texans have the ball on their 25 yard line. There's three minutes, 325 when the play clock begins or so to go in the game. Second and one. And in the NFL, the odds of getting a second and one are astronomically high. It's basically going to happen. Mike Vrabel decides to throw one of his defenders onto the field, and you can see the player turn around and look at him like, Coach, what are you doing? He just says, he goes, it's okay, just go out there. And they take a penalty. Give Houston... And then Vrabel the, pretends like he's yeah, upset about the penalty. he acted like he was mad. So Houston gets a first down, but what happens is the clock stopped. Stopped at 3.05. And that saved at least 40 seconds. Now Houston goes down and scores, but guess what happened? Tennessee comes back down the field and scores the game-tying touchdown with four seconds to go. If Mike Vrabel does not purposefully take a too-many-men-on-the-field penalty with 3.25 or so to go in the game and preserve at least 40 seconds on the clock, his team doesn't win that game in overtime. And he's done that before. That is next-level clock management that at the time the announcers were calling it a stupid mistake and an unforced error. That never dawned on them what was going on. In that Incredible. situation. That is ultimate playing chess and they're playing checkers moment right there. Yep. Yep. Good call on that winner, Mike Vrabel. We'll get to more winners and losers. Get to your winners and losers as well. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll get more winners and losers from Hey Dad and Borky in just a second. Let's go to some of yours on the Ceasefire text line. Winner, Bruce Marshall. Pick the Arkansas Ole Miss score on the number that makes him a winner. Got a debo from a listener asking me to email him all of Bruce's picks from now on because apparently he decided to partake and liked what he heard but wants to make sure he doesn't miss him. I told him where he can find him because I'm not writing an email out to one guy every week. However, that's how good Bruce did this week. Friday, 4.06 p.m. Every Friday. get him. Or you can always find the podcast wherever podcasts are found. Sorry, I was watching the uh, flea flicker in the Bills-Chiefs game. Josh Allen's fun. Do you realize that he's got the second most rushing yards in the NFL among quarterbacks in the last two seasons? He's not even a sneaky good runner. He's just a good runner. Good runner. Just good. And powerful, too. Uh, all right, some other winners and losers on the uh, C Spire text line. Winner, Mookie Betts. That's from Steve in Houston. Preston in Fulton says, winner, Ole Miss defense. They looked a lot better. I would agree with you. Loser, Atlanta sports fans. Mm. 
Tom Brady is a winner because, well, Tom Brady, he and the Bucks are about to get rolling. Oh, but he's done. That's what I heard on first take last week. No, Aaron Rodgers is done this oh, week. Yeah. I, so there's a, a guy that uh, writes columns for uh, whatever the newspaper is in Milwaukee. Twelve days apart, his two columns were Aaron Rodgers shows why he's a legitimate MVP candidate. Twelve days later, Aaron Rodgers shows why the Packers drafted Jordan Love. Hmm? <laughs> Come on, man. We get a simple yes, sir. Sam Pittman, comma Hogman. That's on the ceasefire text line. Uh, let's see here. We got any other winners and losers? Yeah, winner Madison Central and Anthony Hart knocking off number one Starkville. Little upset on Friday night in a game we talked about on Friday that was huge for Madison Central. I saw Will Lee's tweet, and I don't remember the exact year, but he said it's the first time in a couple of decades that Starkville and West Point lost on the same night. Really? Yeah. Uh, John and Hardeman, Hardeman, Tennessee, winner for the first time in 30 years, Memphis over UCF. Mike in Oxford says, winner Hugh Freeze. Liberty is on a collision course with Coastal Carolina for a New Year's Six Bowl bid. They went to Syracuse and won pretty convincingly. What was it, 38-21? I think that was the final? Something like that. Something like that, yeah. Maybe it's 35-21. I don't remember. Winner Tampa Bay Rays. Tampa Bay Rays going to the World Series for the second time in franchise history. They lost it in 2008 to Philadelphia. You got the Rays and the Dodgers in the World Series. Rarely in pro sports do you get a David versus Goliath story, but when two players on the Dodgers, not combined, separately, make more than the entire roster for Tampa Bay, (laughs) that is a real David versus Goliath situation. Kershaw and Mookie Betts? Yep. Wow. Wow. Paul in Starkville says, winner, the highway patrolman that tackled the PETA protester at the state game. That's right. Wade Jones is his name. I know. No. He's he's an avid Thunder and Lightning listener. Shout out to him. Is he really? Well, does he have any eligibility left? Dude, that was brutal. And then dragging that girl off, I was like, oh, play stupid games. The closing speed, man. He tracked her. Like yeah. he was a cheetah going after a gazelle or something. It was nuts. like Lawrence Taylor coming around the blind yeah. side there, just going to take her out. And the, the angle I saw, you see the Texas A&M sideline, they're all like, oh! <laughs> the reaction is perfect. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Shout Mike out. says loser is the UCF player going after the kicker after missing the game-winning field goal. I don't think he was really going after him, though. What, wasn't he like initially going to give him like a pat on the helmet? It's okay, don't worry about it. And the kicker kind of shot back at him, and that's when they went crazy and had to be separated on the sideline. I haven't seen this, so I have to check it out. This is after Memphis won 50-49 to over UCF, and UCF missed a game-winning field goal. Somebody said the uh, protester on the field, they drug her away caveman style. <laughs> they did. They, 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 like, so what happened? Yeah. Uh, it was during a timeout. I don't quite. I think it was. They said they said later it was they're protesting uh, live mascots or something. It was an anti Texas A and M uh, protest. 
I, I, I like I said, I don't know what they were. I didn't see the signs. It was like but, animal uh, testing or something like that. Both girls got uh, got taken off, but the one girl really got it bad, man. She got speared from behind Ooh. and then uh, dragged off by her feet, uh, <laughs> kicking and screaming. I mean, it was. I was I was I was chuckling the whole time. I was like, "You dummy!" Was she in a milkman costume? No, no, no. She's they were they were just dressed like normal people, from what I could tell. So they accomplished nothing except for having to go to trial in Starkville, Mississippi, at some point yeah. in the near future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Greg and Nettleton says, "Use uh, loser, Mister Shockley, talking at DJ Shockley on the TV call, saying KJ must get the ball out quicker." Say what? <laughs> Um, let's see, Bubba and Meridian says the sign said Texas A&M stop cruel testing on dogs. So are they like talking about Mississippi State? No, I'm talking about the protester. Oh, no, that's what I'm saying. Was A&M doing the cruel testing on Mississippi State? Oh. That's what it felt like. Oh. Robin Grenada says winner Grenada Chargers football team knocking off West Point 28-21 in overtime. Kids played their there hearts out. Great game. They are winners. There you go. Any of you guys, any more losers or winners from the weekend? Yeah, we haven't done a loser. I got, I got a great loser. We're talking about the Hey Dad Hates Me Bowl. Gus Malzahn goes down in defeat. Why would you hire Chad Morris to do anything except maybe like work the counter to O'Reilly's auto parts right now? What, why oh, does that oh, guy have oh, a job? O'Reilly. Why does he have a job calling football plays? Everything that guy touches is poison. Auburn, once again, once again, not good. They're going to lose two or three more games this year. They'll get humiliated by Alabama. And finally, maybe somebody, you know, will finally understand that it's just not that good. It's just not that good. They are perennially overrated. If they want to fire Gus this December, they owe him $21 million. They're not going to fire him. The one thing, the one thing I hope comes out of COVID for positivity in terms of, of businesses and stuff is the irresponsibility of these contracts and these buyouts when you're bidding against yourself. Two years ago, three years ago, when Malzahn was flirting with Arkansas, Auburn should just say, look, he loses four games a year. We can get a coach who can do that or better. Go to Arkansas, and good luck with you. But instead, they put themselves in a position where they're going to have to pay somebody $20 million. Firing for cause should include losing. You know, Why did you fire him? He lost too many games. Lost too many games. We fired him for job cause. performance, right? Exactly. I mean, imagine you know, I, I, if I get fired tomorrow, I'm not getting a day's salary, let alone $21 million. The most mind-blowing thing about that game was, and I don't know whose decision it is, I, I, I hope Chad Morris was not telling Bo Nix to continue throwing in J.C. Horn's direction, but whoever let Bo Nix continue throwing the ball in J.C. Horn's direction uh, needs to be fired on the spot. Uh, that... He's the best player on the field for South Carolina. The absolute best player on the field. And they continued to test him. And he picked him off twice, returned run for a touchdown, had a few more pass breakups. The best player on the field. And they kept throwing at him. And he punished him for it. And yet they kept throwing at him. I would almost bet that Chad Morris did have something to do with that. <laughs> that is he, Joe can't, he can't kid, stop them all, the can he? Yeah. So, yeah. That, I mean, Auburn is just, they're just not good. Both State and Ole Miss have a great opportunity to beat Auburn. And I know yep. that's weird for both teams because Auburn can run the ball, and that's a problem for Ole Miss, and State can't score on anybody, but Auburn's bad enough to let you in it. Poor Bo Nix. Uh, he hasn't improved at all. And no. 
what's he's not good. What's really concerning is the fact that Auburn doesn't protect him very well, and even when they do, he he is afraid of a clean pocket. So he bails out of clean pockets too early, and then also he gets pressured too much. That's not going to win you many football games. Put Tennessee I, I on three, the list too. I got three losers for you: Lane Kiffin, Jeremy Pruitt, Jimbo Fisher. The three guys whose schools got one hundred thousand dollar penalties for them not properly wearing masks on the sideline. All three of those men have schools that are going to pay the fine the first go-around. If there is a second fine, they will be responsible for the next go-around. And it's an escalating escalating fine structure. $100,000 for the first time, $200,000 for the second time, $300,000, and so on. But there is a secondary loser. There is a person in the Southeastern Conference office who has been tasked with performing an audit of each game each week and is having to monitor every time a head coach appears on television either with or without a mask and whether they are not whether they are socially distanced when they have a mask on or don't have a mask on and then there's a percentage threshold in there which dictates whether or not they get a fine or not. That job sounds miserable. Let's dive into Mississippi State and Texas A&M when we come back. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. 28-14 was the final Texas A&M winning over Mississippi State. Aggies jumped out to a 14-0 lead. A couple of Isaiah Spiller touchdown runs. One of them on a long drive that uh, ended in the first quarter and started the second quarter. Isaiah Spiller from three yards out, followed by a short field. One play, one yard, four seconds, another Isaiah Spiller touchdown. That made it 14 to nothing. Bulldogs got on the board with 11.38 to play, I guess one or maybe two possessions later when Emmanuel Forbes had a 60-yard interception return for touchdown, made it 14-7. to But... Texas A&M answered, and it didn't take long, only a minute and a half. Four plays, 75 yards. Kellen Mond to Chase Lane, that made it 21-7. Nia Smith caught a six-yard touchdown pass from Kellen Mond to make it 28-7. Bulldogs scored early in the fourth quarter, a Malik Heath touchdown reception from Will Rogers, 32 yards, 28-14, no scoring the rest of the way. That was the final. Texas A&M improves to 3-1. and one. Mississippi State falls to 1-3. and three. A couple of individual things to look at. Kellen Mond didn't throw it a ton, 13 of 23 for 139 yards. Texas A&M rushed it for 186 yards in the game. So a good enough performance to win by the Mississippi State defense. Mississippi State on the ground, 20 carries for minus two yards net. That factors in sack yardage, I understand, but which minus there were two a few. yards net rushing. Say what? Of which there were a few. There were indeed. We got to stop doing that. I don't know who you have to petition to get college sacks not counted towards rushing totals because they don't do it in the NFL, and it gives you a much better grasp of how a team was able to run the football when they do that. And if you have the in live which case, stats, there would have been thirty-two we, yards. Yeah, if we have if you have the live stats that you know the the press has access to, uh, they, t- they they offer you a sack adjusted, you know, a, 
uh, a rushing yardage total. But like Richard said, it's only 32 yards rushing anyway. Yeah. It, in, in that scenario, it would have been 14 carries for 32 yards. So, not great. K.J. Costello, 15 of 22, no touchdowns, one interception, 99 yards. His longest pass completion was 19 yards. He was sacked five times. Will Rogers comes into the game. He goes 15 of 18 for 120 yards, one touchdown, no picks. His long pass was 32 yards. He was sacked once. Combined, those two quarterbacks, 30 of 40, one touchdown, one pick, 219 yards. Yeah, so it's what, 30 of 40? I mean, if you tell me State... Tell me a few weeks ago, State's completing 75% of their passes. I'm thinking, okay, what, 600 yards, six touchdowns in there? I mean, it, it's really insane how how things have turned uh, for Mississippi State in terms of what they're getting in terms of completion percentage, but what they're not getting in terms of yardage and touchdowns. The other thing that's interesting to me about the final numbers from this game is that this was not a game that was full of tempo. Mississippi yeah. State ran 60 plays. For their 217 yards, Texas A&M ran 57 plays for their 325 yards. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a pretty low output in today's college game. I think yeah. I don't. Have, eh, I do have the box score somewhere. I think Ole Miss and Arkansas combined to run 177 plays. Let's see, total. Yeah, it was um, 91 plays for Ole Miss and 82 plays for Arkansas. They combined to run 173 plays. Mississippi State and Texas A&M altogether different pace in this game. It's what one seventeen. Yeah. Yeah, it was very. Did the very, teams uh, play differently? No, I just A and M wasn't in a hurry for sure. Uh, State played with some tempo, but they just they just never really had the ball, and especially until they made the change at quarterback. You know, they just they just they just didn't have the ball very much. They were three and out a lot. Time of possession was almost dead even in the game. It was separated by uh, about a minute. Yeah. All right. So the K.J. Costello-Will Rogers thing. Um, Listen to about half of the Thunder and Lightning podcast that you and Joel did last night. Um, You do something where you say these are the things that we know that are true, and one of the things that you said you know was true is that – what, did I not – did I not summarize that correctly? You, you butchered it. It's, these are the things that are true. You added all these words. Okay, next time I'll just not listen, period. How about that? Hey, I'm just saying, get it right, Cross. I your podcast and trying to... Here on Sports Chat Mississippi. <laughs> Jeez. You anyway, said Mississippi yeah. State cannot move forward with K.J. Costello as quarterback. That, that's uh, well. That's that's what's probably going to be the case. Yeah, it's, I don't see a way back for KJ. I could be wrong. You know, Mike Leach is certainly his own man. He's not going to call me and ask my opinion. Um, but right now, it feels as if that that change is imminent. That there's just I mean, Costello's turned the ball over with between picks and uh, and fumbles. Uh, I think 13 times in four games. You just can't go forward like that. Uh, Rogers, you know, you get that. Sometimes when you bring the backup in, there's just a lift automatically. I thought State made a couple of changes on the offensive line that were a little bit helpful. State's offensive line is just embarrassingly bad right now. It's it's incredibly bad. It's it's hard to it's hard to fathom how easily five are getting beat by three nearly every single play. Uh, and then you know when A and M brought four again, it's still five on four. They were just it was it was like they were bringing eight. Um, so until that gets fixed, it doesn't really matter. You me. Joe Montana, Tom Brady, they can put whoever they want back there at quarterback. Nobody's moving the football when you can't block. 
Uh, but for now, it felt like they, they made a couple of changes, and, and then Rodgers gave them a little bit of a spark. He's certainly a more mobile guy than Costello, so he can get outside the pocket, and he had some success doing that. But right now, yeah, I, I think, and I mean, that's a, man, what a tough first start. Hey, hey, kid, welcome to the SEC. You're going to Alabama for your first start. Um, but that's, that's just the way I think it's going to year go. with John Rice Plumley. Yeah, and, well, you know, it, I would think that it, even in defeat, State would take a, you know, I don't think he's going to put 30 points up on the board or anything, but if they can just look sort of competent and get put a couple of drives together and, and score some touchdowns, they would, you'd have a lot of confidence in that guy going into the month of November when the schedule is just, you know, outside of Georgia, it's much, much easier. Borky, you do your homework, you watch all of these games, you go back and review them, you study them. I know you talked about this on Sports Sunday yesterday as well. Do you concur with what Haydad says is the decision that is not only inevitable but is necessary for Mississippi State that you make a change at quarterback? I do, Uh, especially because you can accomplish two things uh, with one move because I don't think there's a drop-off at all. Uh, between one or the other, although one is a freshman, I do think to this point, even though he did have a couple of turnovers against Kentucky, uh, one of which was not his fault, if I remember correctly, not really. Um, He, at least late in the game on Saturday, protected the football better and did not force things down the field where they didn't belong. So you're you're not missing production. Uh, You're not really missing talent. He looks like a talented kid. And also you can start building towards the future. You have a young quarterback Mike Leach is not going anywhere, so you can get him game reps and game action right now without losing really any production or talent at the position. So I think at this point it's kind of a no-brainer to go ahead and make that move because your guy right now is turning the football over too much, and the guy behind him, um, at least late in the game, when it was still kind of in doubt, it's not like it was 42-7 to and A&M called off the dogs. It was still a game of which you have to play and finish, and he was productive and looked good doing it. So it's the right move for right now, and I think it's the right move for the future as well. And hey what if I said it doesn't matter who the quarterback is if you don't protect him? Well, I mean, you're right. You're exactly right. You know, And, and, and that might be part of the reason Costello's uh, confidence is down. It's because he's taking a beating back there. But if, if your offensive line is not great, and that feels like an understatement for Mississippi State, you better go with the more mobile guy. And that would be Will Rogers, for sure. What happens if Will Rogers comes in and is as ineffective as K.J. Costello? Well, then you're just going to – you'd probably just stick with Rogers because he's the young guy. Just get him the reps. I don't think there's a scenario where Jalen Maiden would take over for either one of them. Okay. And Schrader is not coming back to quarterback, so – You start looking ahead to the spring and Sawyer Robertson, maybe. So, so there's been the, the inability to protect with the offensive line. What about the ability to get pressure with the defensive line? We've seen that in the first couple of games. That didn't happen as much this week. Two quarterback hurries and one sack against Kellen Mond. Mm-hmm. Was something different there? Maybe just A&M's line better? A&M's offensive line was probably a little bit better, but State's defense was still very, very solid. Now, A&M was able to run the ball pretty effectively first time all year that they've given up a 100-yard rusher, but by and large, you know, even without getting pressure, the coverage was good. Um, part of that might be A&M's, you know, receivers aren't aren't the best. But, I mean, again, defense, I feel like if I if I'm criticize the defense, I'm sort of nitpicking. They're the number one defense in the SEC after four weeks. 
which mm-hmm. going back to four weeks ago, I would have thought you were clinically insane if you told me that was going to be the case. Uh, or, or I would have said, okay, well, then state's number you know two, three in the country at that point. Um, but, yeah, I feel like I'd nitpick if I'm criticizing the defense. They played more than well enough to win on Saturday. What does Mississippi State want or need to accomplish this week during the open date with Alabama on the horizon? We'll get to that coming up next. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. More coming up. Went through a little fun exercise. I was looking ahead at the games coming up uh, this weekend. Um, Sunbelt, FBS, Conference USA, American, Big Ten, Conference USA, ACC, Big Ten, ACC, (laughs) Big 12, Conference USA, FBS Independent, SEC, Big 12, we got it all this weekend. And then if you scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page, hey, did you get something we haven't had the last few weeks? You get late-night football. You get an 8 p.m. kickoff on ESPN2 that's a top 25 matchup between Cincinnati and SMU. You get Fox Sports 2, FS2, with a Mountain West showdown between New Mexico and Colorado State. You get BYU undefeated with Zach Wilson at quarterback hosting Texas State on ESPN at 9.15. CBS Sports Network takes you to a late game in the Mountain West, and so does FS1. Latest game kicks off at 9.30 on Saturday night. The football Saturday is no longer over at 10 p.m. It's almost Pac-12 after dark. We're getting there. We're getting there. You see they're going in the opposite direction of after dark. Yeah, it's uh, Pac-12 before the sun comes up. Yeah, Pac-12 with your coffee right now. Yeah. I feel bad for... Honestly, that stinks. I get it. They need more eyeballs in a conference that has dwindling support like in their local markets, let alone nationally. But playing a 9 a.m. local time kickoff college football game. I think it's a lovely idea. I wish instead of uh, playing at 3 o'clock... A week from Saturday in Nashville, Ole Miss and Vanderbilt would play at 9 a.m. Nashville time, and that's only because they couldn't kick at 7.30 for some reason. I'm with you. Earlier the better. You know what you sound like right now? Old people. An old, An old man, man yelling at the clouds. But here, I, I mean, it's it's purely selfish. You kick at 9, game's over at 12.30, on the road by 2, Back in Oxford at 6 to watch a little primetime football? Exactly. In the words of the great Sam Pittman, yes, sir! Not going to happen, though, obviously. No, no. So instead, hey, Dad, what's Mississippi State going to try to accomplish this week during the open day? they got to find five guys that want to block. That's got to be the first order of business. Um, I think State had a little more success when they moved Cole Smith to left guard. He came in and played pretty well. Uh, they they started Greg Island. He was really, really, really ineffective at right tackle. They went back to Catravius Johnson, Dollar Bill, but he got injured. 
They had to go back to Ireland. Um, Charles Cross looks okay. You know, he's had he's had his ups and downs. He's just a fresh, redshirt freshman, though. I feel like he's going to be fine. But they got to find five guys that want to block, and then they got to figure out what they want to do at quarterback, and then they got to figure out what they want to do at tailback. And and I mean, they got a lot of questions. A lot of questions. Aren't Island and Cross two of the ones that you thought were kind of going to be stars this year? No, uh, it was it was Johnson. It was Dollar Bill because the recruiting profile led me to believe that Island's a three year starter though. He should be better than what he is. I mean, he just he was just getting abused out there. I mean, it's five on three, man. There's one guy lined up on your outside shoulder. Pretty, pretty easy thought process. That's the guy I need to block. But I can't tell you how many times he just stood up and let the guy blow right past him without even trying to put a hand on him. So many people are talking about splits and wide splits, and is that a thing? Well, I mean, I mean it's yeah. a scheme thing. I mean, that's part of what Mike Leach's offensive lines do. Yeah, and always have. Yeah, I'm, I've reached out to a couple of his former offensive linemen. Going to try to get them on the uh, podcast this week to see if I can't get a little more insight into that. Uh, hopefully, one of them will get back with me. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, and you're in the SEC, and you've got the kind of athletes that SEC teams have on the defensive line, and you're going to give them that wide of a gap, and they're going to come off the ball, and I mean, they're going to be in there. You're going to have to move quickly. So, I mean, I think there's communication issues. I think there's some talent issues. I think there's some. There's some confidence. I mean, it's just a mess. It's just a mess top to bottom, and they've got to figure that out. And to your point a little while ago, that is, uh, it's got to be figured out next against uh, an Alabama team that seemed to play with a renewed sense of confidence and almost like there were a bunch of really talented guys on the defensive side of the ball who didn't take well to giving up 48 points and almost 600 yards of offense. Yeah, no question about or it. I mean, it's amazing. Six hundred. State has this many problems. We haven't even talked about Kylan Hill yet. That is correct. Perhaps we should do that for the college football fix when we come back. All right. Because the question is, what next with regard to Kylan Hill? Will there be yeah. a next for Kylan Hill at Mississippi State? Brian Haydad broke that news right here on Sports Talk Mississippi on Friday afternoon. think maybe mentioned it on the Thunder and Lightning podcast on Thursday night, which you might have listened to Thursday night or Friday morning. So you shouldn't have been completely shocked when it didn't happen, and yet there were a lot of people that were completely shocked when it didn't happen on Saturday. Sports Talk Mississippi with you online at supertalk.fm. We'll be right back. Mississippi rolling into the 5 o'clock hour. Just after 5 o'clock, you've got uh, game one of a doubleheader of Monday Night Football going on right now. The Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs. KC leading at 13-10. Less than five minutes to go in the second quarter. Fun game. Not great weather. It's raining. Kind of chilly. Temperature about 50 degrees. Foggy. (laughs) Overcast. About to get dark. That's what it's supposed to look like in uh, Buffalo for football. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, thanks for being with us this afternoon. The C Spire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395.
601-879-4395. Don't forget, you've still got that $100 savings opportunity on an iPhone at C Spire. Don't wait for the, uh, whatever it is the other guys are offering for you. Take advantage. $100 off on the phone that you want, the iPhone 11 or earlier. $100 off at your local C Spire store. Also, some great deals on pre-orders for the iPhone 12. Don't want to miss out on those opportunities. Check them out online at cspire.com or visit your local C Spire store. Time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. Tail end of truck month, which means savings on 2020 F-150s, Rangers, and Super Duties. But they are going fast. It's actually looking this morning. Just kind of curious when those 2021 F-150s are coming out because they are fine. Local Mississippi Ford dealers where you can test drive whatever it is that you want to drive. It got has that blue oval on the front of it. All right. Uh, we will uh, – well, let's start with the Kylan Hill question. Still want to look at what else happened this weekend in the SEC. So what's going on with Kylan Hill? Uh, well, like I said, you know, uh, was not going to play on Saturday, was not in the stadium to my knowledge, certainly didn't dress. Um, after the game – Leach said not available today and don't know about his availability going forward. I believe it's in Kylan's court now. You know, if he wants to come back to the football team, there's a there's some demands that have been made of him. He can either uh, uh, you know agree to those demands or he can he can move on. Kylan Hill put on uh, I believe on Facebook uh, Sunday afternoon that he's been suspended because of some personal or not maybe suspended is not the right word, but he's away from the team. He's unavailable because of family and personal reasons. Uh, it has nothing to do, like I said, it's nothing. There's no legal issue here. It's not like he's, he's you know, been arrested or anything like that. It's not a, a play on the field issue. There's, there's just some stuff going on in Kylan Hill's life that he needs to get a handle on, and once he does that, he'll be given the opportunity to come back to the team. So it sounds like a path to rejoin, if he is so inclined. Mm-hmm. But uh, you, you say you think some demands, and I'm not asking you specifically what are the demands, right? But, but. Doesn't this what are the probably have to do with attitude and leadership and yeah, that's that's a fair assumption to make. Pulling in the same that, direction that that his attitude has not been what Mike Leach and the staff and the rest of the team would want it to be, especially from a senior who you thought was going to be a leader for you this uh, this season. Yeah. Um. What does it mean if he does come back? What does it mean if he doesn't come back? Um, I mean, if he doesn't come back, we'll start there. I mean, it means you're gonna, you know, sort of the same thing you're talking about with with a quarterback position. You just move forward with the youth. You're gonna move forward with Jaquavius Marks and Dylan Johnson. Both those guys look like they're talented. Um, you know, and we'll see what they can do. You know, I mean, they they have limited opportunities as far as running the football goes. But can they provide in the passing game? I think so. Uh, but I think Marks looked. Pretty solid on on Saturday, considering you know what his his stat line looks like. Um, I mean, it's just again, it goes back to the, if you can't block anybody, it doesn't really matter what you're doing back there. Uh, if he does come back, you know, Mark's had I mean, seven I, carries for twenty five yards. 
Yeah, I mean, so what? That's not quite four yards to carry, but again, you're not getting any blocking. So, you know, it just is what it is. Um, if he does come back, he'll come back, and he hopefully he can be productive. You know, he had uh, 15 catches in the game uh, against Kentucky. You know, if he can – we know he's talented. We've seen him do it. So, I mean, it would obviously be best for his, uh, his pro prospects, I think, to get back out there on the field and show that, you know, you can still do this. But we'll see. And then if he does come back, I wonder how he is received by his teammates, et cetera. Certainly a fair question. But at the same time, you know, one thing I've always thought or I've seen in the past, whenever it's it's put to, like, the team, hey, do you want him back? They always vote for to have him back. You know, that's a guy they know has, has worked hard and has practiced hard with them. And if he can get – you know himself in the, in the right place. They know he can be an asset to the team, so I, I don't think it'll be a problem. You know, getting him back onto the field if once he he does what is demanded of him. Do you have a gut feeling one way or the other? <sighs> no, I'll be honest. No, I think that. I mean, I, I don't think what's being asked of him is 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 impossible to do. I think if he wanted to do it, he could do it. I, but I don't, you know, if you're talking about a guy who has, you know, personal issues, then sometimes, you know, you have to deal with that first, and it it, it doesn't allow you to play football. So I don't really have a gut feeling. I won't be to- totally surprised if he doesn't play again. I won't be totally surprised if he's backed out there for the Alabama game. Yeah. And this is one of those things, hey, Dad, where you, you probably got to go through some swallow your pride, yeah, Check yeah, your for ego sure. a little bit. For sure. Come back and say, I was wrong. Whether you actually believe you were wrong or not, sometimes you just have to say that. Yeah, we're married. To, we get that. To get what you want. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll see. Yeah, so, like I said, you know, we have one availability with Leach this week. I'm sure he'll be asked about it. I don't expect there to be much uh, in terms of clarity. I wouldn't be surprised you know, if we don't find anything out until next Saturday when State's in Tuscaloosa, one way or the other. All right. So what about the rest of the SEC this weekend? i tell you what, we'll unpack that in a minute. Let's, uh, let's rewind and look at our picks from this past uh-huh. weekend. Borky, you and I it. picked games exactly the same. We both picked South Carolina. I don't know if you dropped the wrong team favorite in there. I know I did. I did. And they won straight up against Auburn. Hey, Dad picked Auburn in that game. How'd that work out for you, Hey, Dad? <laughs> Poorly. Never trust Chad Morris. After that, all three of us were the same on the other four. We all took Tennessee. That was a wah, 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 wah. We all three took Ole Miss. Nope. All three took Texas A&M. Yep. All three took Bama. Yep. And maybe so that not. means, say what? I was like, maybe not in terms of, uh, you know, Tennessee losing. Maybe it's not the most surprising thing. The way they got manhandled, though, that's pretty surprising. Well, when you start Kentucky the game, destroyed them. Pick oh, yeah. six, pick six, interception. That'll it was interception Saturday. In. So what? Two pick sixes in the Ole Miss game, is that right? 
and then two in the Tennessee game. There was one in the Mississippi State game. I mean, just incredible. You're t- who are you talking about? Garantana? The- yeah. Yeah, he's a mess. And we rewinded that conversation from a week ago, right? Is this guy any good? Yeah. Mm. Uh, so Borky and I both went three and two. Hey, Dad went two and three. He is once again below 500 for the week and for the year. He just won't stop digging. That hole is getting deeper and deeper and deeper. Brian Haydad for the season you know is now eight and eighteen. That would be ten games below five hundred. He will be calling you if you're a friend of his to help with the mortgage before long. I'm just saying that I'm going to get a steak dinner out of this one way or the other. I mean, I have to pay for somebody's, but I'm still going to go get to eat a steak. There's nearly no losers. The standings right now. 14 and 12 for Richard, 12 and 14 for Borky, 8 and 18 for Brian Hader. You've always told us you love college football and you watch it a lot. Are you sure? I got no grip on this season, man. I'm just, you know. It's got nothing. That's all right. I, I, you know, if I was a great gambler, I wouldn't be on this show with you. I'd be living in Las Vegas in the penthouse at the Wynn. Mm-hmm. So. Maybe you should just go to the coin flip thing. You know what? This Friday, we'll coin flip all the games. There are only four of them in the SEC. Are we going to broaden well, things out and add any Big Ten, or are we just going to stick SEC only? Let's get a couple national games with these short schedules here. I haven't decided yet. I'm picking no. SEC only still. For the for the purposes of the steak dinner, we may go SEC only, and then we may have a little of uh, for entertainment purposes only. All right, we'll unpack the rest of the league next. Sports Talk Mississippi. So Hudson Clark had a big game for Arkansas against Ole Miss on Saturday. Three interceptions. He and Grant Morgan shared... SEC honors, Grant Morgan as co-defensive player of the week and Hudson Clark as freshman of the week. He's a redshirt freshman that was a former walk-on, and I say former, I guess technically he's still a walk-on. Sam Pittman told uh, the guys on the uh, SEC This Morning show this morning, this morning, this morning, that uh, he called him last night, asked him to come see him, and uh, he told him, Hudson, we're out of scholarships right now. But when we reshuffle the deck in January, you're on full scholarship. That's awesome. Pretty cool story. Pretty cool story. So we've talked a lot about Ole Miss, Arkansas. We've talked a lot about Mississippi State, Texas A&M. What about the rest of the league? Kentucky, 34-7 over Tennessee. Goodness gracious, Kentucky had an interception return for a touchdown to go up 7-0 in the second quarter. Two minutes later, they had another interception return for touchdown. So a 41-yard pick six, followed by an 85-yard pick six to go up 14-0. And they kicked a field goal to make it 17 to nothing. Ty Chandler got into the end zone before the half. It was 17 to 7 at the break. 
Terry Wilson threw a one-yard touchdown pass midway through the third quarter to go up 24-7. to They kicked another field goal in the third and then added a touchdown on for good measure with a little less than 11 minutes to play. And there was no scoring the rest of the way. 34-7 to the final. And so in front of 22,500 in Knoxville, Kentucky kind of demoralizes Tennessee. And the reason I use that word is Kentucky wins the game going away after 294 yards of total offense. In two weeks, Kentucky has about 450 yards of offense, and they have won those two games by a combined score of something to nine, right? 34 plus 20. 68 or 58 to nine? 58 to nine. Yeah. With a two week combined total offense of 450. It's good work if you can get it. Are you revisiting, Michael Borky, how you think about Kentucky? Uh, not exactly. Not yet, anyway. Because, yes, I mean, the score indicates that they beat up on Tennessee pretty good. They got a little bit of help. And. They got a lot of help. <laughs> yeah, especially early. I mean, it's hard if you're anybody to overcome your first three offensive possessions pick six, pick six, interception. Really hard to overcome that. I mean, it depends on what you expect from Kentucky. I thought they were going to take a step back, win a handful of games, but that's about it. They're not anywhere close to Georgia or Florida or anything like that, but they're about who I thought they were. See, for me, I thought they were going to be pretty good. Remember, I picked them to beat Auburn, and I thought that they would be a pretty solid team. Again, not not up there with Georgia and Florida, but a good team. And, you know, the first two weeks, I wasn't seeing that. Now these last two weeks, they seem to have gotten things going. And this is how this team's going to win. They're going to win ugly. They're going to win with defense. Terry Wilson's not a game-breaker back there. They don't have a Benny Snell or a Lynn Bowden. But they're good enough to win more games, and they're going to. Listen to the drive summary for Tennessee. For the game. Punt, fumble, interception, 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 touchdown. Punt, 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 punt. Turnover on downs. And Jeremy Pruitt fired his defensive co- or defensive line coach as a result of that offensive performance. <laughs> Something doesn't add up here. That's like selling your car if your AC doesn't work. In your house. Yeah, your home HVAC. Yeah. My, if that my home AC work, went out, so I sold my car. Yeah. It doesn't, yeah. And he's taking over. He's going to be the defensive line coach moving forward. It's almost like the eight games in a row that Tennessee won were against teams that were pretty average. Yeah. I mean, there's no getting around that, is there? I mean, they did. who did they beat in that, in that streak? But that said, they didn't win eight games in a row. I mean, the team that went to the—I feel like somebody did, was like a mass kidnapping. The team that went to the half up on Georgia. What happened to that team? They were looking really good there for a second, and since they came back out of the locker room, it is—they've just completely fallen apart. So, just a really weird thing. And now, hey, they get to play Alabama this week. Have fun with that mm. on the fourth Saturday in October. <laughs> because why not, right? Yeah, you know. 
Jeez. Kentucky won in Knoxville for the first time since 1984. Shout out to Eddie Van Halen. That was a tribute to him. There you go. South Carolina beats Auburn 30-22. to Auburn led 9 to nothing in this game. But then... Did you happen and, to watch this one? I got saw some of it. I saw I mean, a good bit of it, actually. Honestly, there's no winners here. <laughs> <laughs> He's right. I mean, the bad football. The people over in South Carolina are talking about this might be the win that saves Will Muschamp. It shouldn't be. Because, yes, Auburn was ranked, and it looks like he just beat a top 15 team. No, he didn't. That win over Auburn should not change his job status or what you think about him at all. Those were two bad football teams with embarrassing offenses that just kind of trogged along, and somehow one team had more points at the, than the other at the end of it. J.C. Horn's a stud, though. That kid can play. Otherwise, yeah, the game was awful. Yeah. There are two other guys in this game that could play. Tank Bigsby for Auburn. Oh, yeah. Forgot about 16 him. carries for 111 yards and a touchdown. He averaged seven yards a carry. He's not so a big guy. So by all means, guy, only give it to him 16 times. I know, right? He's not a big guy, but man, he weird, absorbs his hits. name is Tank. I know. But you it, think a guy named Tank would be built like Derrick Henry. He is not Another easy winner, to bring down. I mean, just bounces off tacklers. He's shifty. I mean, if Gus is still there... He's got a great running back moving forward, but Billy Napier, or whoever takes over for Gus after this year, has got at least one piece to build with. Oh, I, I don't think it's going to be Billy Napier. I think I know who it might be, though. I, I'm hoping for it. No way. Why not? Sankey, comma, Greg. Come on now. I mean, he, I, enough time he, he, has he, passed he, that I think you probably could. It could do happen. It. Hugh Freeze and Auburn Jesus together. Come on, that's unbeatable. I, here's the thing that I'm wondering: Is the NCAA's issue with Ole Miss or with Hugh Freeze? Yes, because they they didn't get him. They did not. That they got him in terms of they got him out of Oxford, but they didn't get Hugh Freeze. They got Ole Miss. No. If you're going to a place like Auburn, a little more protected class there, though. I wouldn't be worried if I were an Auburn person of the NCAA. Even though there, any time he he would sign a high level prospect, you know the accusations that would follow. But whatever, I mean, brush that off your back. Everybody cheats. Who cares? If you think that the criticism was too hard to handle at Ole Miss. Go to Auburn and coach, and in somebody. That, oh, I agree. That cannot handle criticism. Go there and lose a game. That's where I, if I was an Auburn fan, I wouldn't be concerned about his coaching ability because he clearly is a very, very good football coach. Beating That's Syracuse never been like a question. drum at Liberty, he can coach ball, and I wouldn't be worried about the NCAA so much. I mean, I know he handled things poorly at Ole Miss, but. Auburn's a, a kind of a protected class. It's the criticism. It's different at Auburn than it is at Ole Miss. Can he handle that? My answer is no. I don't think so, but that's what I would be concerned about. You guys are completely blowing me off when I tell you they're not firing Gus this year. No, I, I mean, it, it oh, would they're be probably not firing tough. Gus. No. 
$21 million to make him go away. It's a lot of yellow wood. And although the economy's recovering, the boosters that would have to pay for this probably don't like their stock portfolios right now. Unless they took advantage of the downtime, which smart people did, or yeah. people with money. I mean, I would have, but, you know. There are were, there were opportunities out there. It's easier to make money if you got money, though, right? That's right. Say. Bo Nix goes 24-47 for 272 with a touchdown and three picks. Colin Hill, 15-24, touchdown and a pick. Kevin Harris is who Borky told us about on Friday. 25 carries, 83 yards, couple of touchdowns in the game. Had like a 75-yarder wiped off the board for holding. That's a couple of young running backs whose names you better remember. So Auburn 2-2 two two, headed to Oxford this weekend. Is this South Carolina's open date, or do they play this weekend? I should know the answer to that. I'll tell you when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi. At LSU. Oh. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Time for the Pearl River Resort Pick of the Day, brought to you by the Sportsbook at Timeout Lounge in Philadelphia. Check that out if you've not been. Great spot to watch games, great foods, and it gives you a chance to get in on the action. Um, the Dallas Cowboys are a one-point favorite tonight in Monday Night Football against the Arizona Cardinals. Kyler Murray has never lost in Jerry's world, or whatever that's worth. Maybe... Maybe I'm missing something here. Probably am missing something here. No Dak Prescott. Obviously. Cowboys did get some uh, good news in that uh, Vander Esch's play is uh, cleared to play tonight, so they get one piece back on defense. Am I crazy for liking the Cardinals as the underdog tonight, even though it's basically a pick'em game just getting a point? Yeah, it feels like they'll win. There's your Pearl River Resort pick of the day. Orky, do you like that or no? I think I like it. Uh, that's probably where I would lean. But Andy Dalton's not incompetent. Uh, you've already seen, I mean, Cowherd danced around it, first take danced around it, which credit to them, they didn't go full on, Andy Dalton's better than Dak Prescott. He's not. But he's a capable NFL quarterback. I mean, it's possible that he plays and plays pretty well, and, I mean, the division's awful, and he leads them to a playoff berth. He's got the weapons around him. They just can't stop people. But I wouldn't be surprised if Dalton plays well because this is the best collection of weapons he's had in years. He's not some just clipboard-holding backup that you haven't heard from in years. I mean, the guy can play a little bit. So, I mean, we'll see. If you're Dalton, in your mind, you think you could play your way back into a starting role somewhere. So he's going to be motivated, and he's capable of playing well. So this is a fascinating game tonight. You like this one or no? we got to pick one or the other. I would take the Cardinals. Go with Haydad. Because okay. I've been so right so much this year. Fadehaydad.com, just a web do- domain that uh, just launched. Just not baseball or golf picks. Those are those are winners. Um, 
So we talked about Kentucky, Tennessee. We talked about Auburn and South Carolina. We have not talked about Georgia and Alabama. Georgia got off to a pretty good start in this game. They um, they fell behind early. John Mechie caught a, uh, a touchdown pass. It was seven to nothing. Then Zamir White scored late in the first quarter to make it seven apiece. James Cook caught an eighty-two yard touchdown pass from Stetson Bennett to make it fourteen to seven. Alabama kicked a field goal. Georgia kicked a field goal, and then Alabama got a uh, a touchdown pass with three minutes to go in the second quarter. It's kind of an eventful end of the first half. Yeah. Um. Georgia scored again, so it was tied at seventeen after the Devontae Smith touchdown catch from Mac Jones. Georgia scored again with twenty three seconds left, and then a little controversially, but not a lot. Uh, Alabama got a couple of plays off, got into field goal range, and hit a 52-yard field goal before the half, 24 to 20. Once again, Alabama was looking for that extra second. And I was just like, are they going to really, really do this again? Okay, let's see what happens. They got it this time. Better yeah. kicker. And then the second half was all Alabama. 90-yard touchdown pass, Mac Jones to Jalen Waddle. Two-yard rushing touchdown for Najee Harris. 13-yard touchdown pass, Mac Jones to Devontae Smith. Mac Jones numbers in this game. 24 of 32, 417 yards, four touchdowns, one pick. Video game numbers. He's good. He's more than good. I mean, it's yeah, high he's, level. He's, he's second in the Heisman running right this second, isn't he? It's Trevor Lawrence and him. Yes, Trevor Lawrence's team scored 73 on Saturday, and they could have scored 173 had they been so inclined. Yeah. I know this is a very softy take here. I get it. And it's college football, so you shouldn't have sympathy for anybody. But if you're up over 50 points in the fourth quarter, stop throwing the football. Hey, what are you accomplishing by, by doing that? What are you accomplishing by winning 73-7? to Nothing. Hey, call the dogs off, run the football, get out of there. I don't like that. I don't know. I know that's softy, but have some decent, have some decency, and respect your opponent to to some point to where when they're dead, don't keep kicking them. You know. But if you're the best team in the country and you've got a roster that's loaded, and you, I mean, don't you want your backup quarterback to throw some passes? Well, they didn't even play their real backup. So uh, credit to them for that, but Ugagagalele didn't play. So That's the, the Herb's way to give. say Merry Christmas to you, isn't it? <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, I know that's that's softy and whatnot, but if you're up by 50 points, stop throwing the ball. It's take, a little soft, but I understand it. Take I mean, 39 seconds off the clock and hand it off up the middle. And then take 39 seconds off the clock and hand it up the middle yeah. again and, and get out of there. But there is an element of why am I supposed to do that. It's a respect thing, that's all. But it's, that's, it's that's, college football and it's up to them to stop. Officiating should be able to step in on. Like, I'm not saying they should call plays, but I mean, if you go to the fourth quarter and you're down by 40 or more, I mean, I know some strange things have happened in the world. I get that. But that's when there should be, you know, we're going to run the clock and we're going to get people out of here. Because, again, it's just a player safety issue at that point. Just The game's over. Just get it over with. 
Travis Etienne only carried it 11 times. Um, in terms of throwing the football, Trevor Lawrence was 24 of 32 for 404 yards, five touchdowns, and an interception. They played through a pick, get him out. They, they played four quarterbacks in the game. I do want to see the, the scoring. Okay, there were two passing touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Yeah, see, that's it's not Dabo Sweeney's job to stop his team from scoring. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just if I was coaching a team, and maybe so. This Trevor makes me Lawrence softy, played, but did, did Trevor Lawrence even play in the second half? I don't think so. No, he played two quarters. They were up fifty-two to seven at the half. Clemson only scored three touchdowns in the second half. Though. Yeah, two of which were passing touchdowns in the fourth. <sighs> I know. Those, I, I those know. guys not... deserve to play, though. I think. Yeah, I, I'm certainly not going to argue this one because I, I I get it. It's college football, but like I saw, I went to years ago. I had to go to a, a youth baseball game, and. It's a different level, of course, but the score was like 27 to nothing. And they, ju- they they didn't put their bad guys in or anything, and they just kept hitting the baseball, going round bases, round bases, round bases. It just it wasted everybody's time because at that point you're not getting any better. And you're, do- you're accomplishing nothing. That game kind of felt that way. Different level, different thing. But at-, at what point are you wasting everybody's time? And throwing the ball up 50 points in the fourth quarter is wasting everybody's time. You're not helping Georgia Tech. You're not helping your guys. The The officials should go to a running clock and you end the game because it's such a dramatic mismatch that they really shouldn't have been on the field at the same time for that long. Can Alabama stay on the field with Clemson? Yes. Absolutely, yes. Can they beat them? They're explosive, uh, explosive enough to do it, yeah. And Clemson's not going to get tested like this, man. I was one week too early, but North Carolina is the most overrated top 10 team in college football. They were down 31-7 to and almost came back all the way to win it and had three drops Ugh. on their final drive, including on a fourth down play that would have moved the sticks and kept things going. Alabama will be by far, wide, wide margin, the best team they've seen all year. They will not get tested until they play each other in the playoff. Alabama-Georgia rematch in the SEC championship game, or is Florida not dead yet? Florida can't beat Georgia. I don't think. Florida's, they're not as explosive as Alabama, but that offense is explosive. It is, but Georgia is more talented everywhere. So maybe quarterback, and we'll see how that pans out. But I just, I just, and and Mullen versus Smart, it, Smart, it just owns him right now. So Mullen's a better coach. He is, but he can't beat Smart. Kirby Smart, now in three games against Nick Saban in Alabama, has had the lead at halftime three times, and he has lost how many wins all does he have? three of those games. There you go. He is wound so tight. In these games, well, you could see it coming from a mile away, couldn't you? And by the way, Stetson Bennett, nice story, eighteen of forty, had a touchdown through three picks. 
if Georgia wants to get to the SEC championship game and wants a rematch with Alabama, I don't think Stetson quarterback uh, Stetson Bennett's going to be the quarterback to do it. Maybe I'm wrong. We'll see. Sports. A Super Talk Mississippi yeah. media production.